And as this series goes along, in the center of it, we're going to have the Christ candle, as it's known from Advent, and that's going to kind of form the focus because at the center of God's covenant relationship with us is Jesus Christ. So at this time, I'm going to ask all the children who normally go to uh, Kingdom Kids or Sunday School to come and join me, and I'm going to invite Mr. Ralph Van Dyke to come and join me as well at this point. Come on up front. We have something to show you and talk about with you. You want to see what Mr. Van Dyke's got in his hands? Come on up. Come closely so you no, come over here so you can see, okay? You can't see when you're over there. You got to see what Mr. Van Dyke's got. So why don't we ask Mr. Van Dyke, what have you got in your hand? Oh, uh, it's a blueprint. What's a blueprint? A blueprint is if you want to build a house and make a home, you need a blueprint to build it. Can we see it? Sure, you can see it. Anybody ever seen a blueprint before? Yeah. You've seen, no? Yeah. Well, I don't know what to do with them. They've got all kinds and of... There's the front picture. Look at that. It's a very big house. What's in, what's in the other pages? Look, look. That's the basement. That's what your basement looks like when it's in drawings. See that? Yeah. Yeah, you see some rooms? Are there rooms in here? Are there rooms in here? No, it's unfinished. That's unfinished. It's a full... Okay, look, look at this. <coughs> oh, watch it, Caleb. Watch it. Look, can you see? This is big, big, big blueprint. So what's all this? Look at that. So what's that? Um, I think a house. You think it's yeah. a house? Yeah, a very big house. A big house. You see some, are there rooms in there? Yeah. Look at, there's some rooms. There's a garage. Yeah. And there's a room. The porch. The porch. No, that's a single house. So can you imagine that if this, if they had to, you, have some, you can put it in the offering later, okay? Can you do that? That'd be good. I'm glad you're giving me money, but can you imagine if a whole city was drawn like this? Okay. Now, let me, let me ask Mr. Van Dyke some questions about blueprints, because I don't know anything about blueprints. They're just a bunch of drawings on a piece of paper. Why are these so important? Why is this so important? I mean, if I want to build my house, why can't I just get my bathtub and put my bed and just build some, get some wood and put some stuff together and just build my house? Well, that won't work, because you've got to lay it all out so it all goes together. So it all goes together. So is there an order to all this? I mean, can I put the roof, can I put the roof together first? No, you can't. No? Why you not? First build a basement. First basement. Put the main floor on and then, then the frame floor. the walls, put a roof on, 
And then you start working inside. You do all the electrical, plumbing. Yeah. And so there's an order to this. There's an order to it. There's an order to this. And you agree on that order. All right. So what happens if I, what happens if I just kind of ignore the measurements here and I just kind of say, nah, I don't like 5'8", <coughs> I like 6 feet. You need to go inside the lines. Uh, I need to go inside the lines? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because you have to measure. Because I have to measure. And is it important to measure? Yep. If, what happens if I don't measure? I go, ah, forget it. Yep. What, so I need to go on time. What happens? Let's ask Mr. Van Dyke. He's the expert. What happens if we don't measure? Well, then it won't work out. You have the window in the wrong place, or you have the wall in the wrong place. So it's really it's very important. So it's very really important. important. See? You see the lines? So it's really important that we follow these blueprints and we do it from the bottom up. This morning, we're going to read from the Bible. Now, I want you to listen, because I'm going to talk about blueprints this morning. So if you think about how important this blueprint is, think about how important the blueprint is that I'm going to talk about. So listen for the word blueprint, and then listen for three parts of the blueprint. All right? And then afterwards, I'll ask your moms and dads to ask you if you heard about the blueprint and what the three parts are. Okay? So pay attention later on. And moms and dads... That means you do have to pay attention too, of course, because you got to <laughs> make sure you got it right. All right. Thank you, Mr. Van Dyke, for showing us the blueprints of this house. You may go back to your seats. Okay. <laughs> you back to your dad. Okay. Thanks. Did you? Thanks, Ralph. Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, right off the beginning in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2. beginning at verse 4. This is the count of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The water, the river, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there was separated the four headwaters. The name of the first is Pison. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aramaic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Aser. 
and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The word of the Lord. Verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's our text for this morning. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in Christ, over the years of my ministry, I've had the opportunity to live in a number of different houses. And at least, at least on three occasions, if, if not more, we lived through some renovations. And like Ralph and Dyke, I'm sure glad that there are people who are gifted and qualified to do such work because for me, it would be an utter nightmare. I would mess up the proper order. I'd probably put the roof on before I put the basement in. I would mess up the proper order that's required to build. And when you mess up the proper order of things on a construction site, you end up paying for it in some way. Those of you who are in the construction or building industry or those of you who have gone on DRS or construction mission trips will know that things have to be done in proper order. That means sometimes you have to sit around and wait for the next step to be fulfilled. One does not put on a roof before the foundation is poured. One does not add wiring to a house before or once the drywall and the paint is on. You don't remove a sink or a toilet without first turning off the water supply. And so builders, as we noted this morning, will use blueprints or drawings to help them know what to build and what the structure will look like. Now, the same sort of idea comes to mind when I think about building a pizza, for example. If you're going to build a pizza, you have to make, follow the proper instructions. First, you put down the dough, duh, then you add the sauce, and then all the wonderful toppings like cheese and pepperoni or ham or pineapple, whatever it is you like to eat on your pizza. The dough comes first, then come the top, the sauce, and then comes the toppings. Now, you might be tempted to say, as I've already said, duh, so what else is new? 
Of course you don't build the roof before the foundation is poured. And of course the wiring goes on a wall before you cover it with drywall and paint. And of course you turn the water supply off before you remove a toilet or a sink. Everyone knows you don't put the toppings on the pizza before you put the dough, the crust together. And so in order to receive the best results, it's usually wise to follow the instructions properly and logically. Well, this morning, our text contains, as it were, a blueprint for marriage. And as we noted already, how we read a blueprint and how we follow a blueprint has much to say about the building or, in this case, a marriage relationship. As every building, every well-built building needs a good blueprint, so every well-built marriage needs a good blueprint. And I suspect that one of the reasons why there is so much confusion these days about the whole marriage state is because people basically have ignored or do not follow the biblical pattern or the biblical blueprint for marriage. This morning, as I've already introduced, we begin a series of sermons on covenant relationship. And this morning, we're going to look at marriage and the blueprint for marriage. Now, even as I say this, and as I begin this way, there may be some of you who may think that, oh man, he's going to talk about marriage. That doesn't pertain to me. After all, I'm not married, and maybe I plan never to be. I'm, I'm single and quite happy in that. Others of you may find it when we talk about marriage to be rather painful because of the brokenness in your relationship or because you have lost a partner. And I want to acknowledge these sorts of responses to any sermon about marriage. And so this series, as we work from week to week to week, is going to involve not only marriage but also singleness, and also any sort of covenant relationship we find ourselves in in life. We heard something about that covenant in the responsive reading that we read earlier. But this morning, marriage. And I trust that all of us, whether married or not, are interested in marriage, if not for ourselves, then certainly for others. And of course, we ought to note that whether single or married, each of us, whether we realize it or not, is affected by the health of marriage in our society. If marriages collapse all around us, and if married people are desperately unhappy, it's going to touch all of our lives, since marriage is, at least I think we still believe that, one of the foundations of society. And so think in terms of your own life. No matter how old you are, if mom and dad were or are unhappy in their relationship, it's affected you and maybe even affects you today. If any relationship is broken or any relationship is hurting, it affects the whole of society in so many different ways. And therefore, it's important that we understand the biblical teaching concerning marriage. And that biblical teaching concerning marriage is rather clear 
and rather simply, really, back in the Garden of Eden, Adam was lonely. There was no partner for him. So God caused a deep sleep to come over Adam. He took one of the man's ribs and then created a woman whom Adam called Eve. Adam, mankind, Eve, womankind. God instituted marriage at the beginning of time. And then we read the words of our text for this morning. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's the institution of marriage. An institution that is repeated three more times in the Bible. Jesus quotes Genesis 2, verse 24, in Matthew 19, verse 5. Mark quotes Jesus as saying these words in Mark 10, 7. And finally, the Apostle Paul, when speaking about marriage, quotes the words again in Ephesians 5, 31. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the biblical pattern does not change. The one big difference that should be noted concerning this pattern is that since it was given when Adam and Eve were married, it, was, it has been distorted and it has been affected by sin. Now, it was God who ordained, who instituted, or created marriage. And that's why the writer of Genesis wrote, for this reason a man shall. Because God created it this, this way, that's why man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. The Bible doesn't get into a debate about this pattern, this blueprint. It simply states it as the way in which the Lord put things together. This is the blueprint we were handed, now built, and it's for our good and for his glory. So reading the text, I trust you notice the pattern laid down for marriage. Leave, cleave, ah, to use an old language, don't think of a cleaver, like a, you know, cutting apart. That's kind of where the language breaks down a little bit. Leave, cleave, and then you will become one. So to use the old language that we used to talk about years and years ago, and forgive me for saying this, leave, cleave, conceive. That's how it kind of works. So the first thing we notice from verse 24 is that marriage involves leaving. Marriage is an entirely new way of life that makes it necessary to leave, in a sense, your old way of life behind. When you get married, you leave the family into which you were born in order to start another family, a new family. When you get married, there's a cutting away, a breaking off that takes place. And I suppose that's also why there are tears that shed on the part of a father or mother as a son or a daughter gets married. There's something breaking there. And that break must be clear and clean cut. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we abandon our parents nor does it necessarily mean that we move thousands of kilometers away just to separate, even though for some couples that really may be the healthiest thing for you to do in order to cut the apron strings. 
And there's more than one couple that sat with me in my office that I said, move to Newfoundland or move to BC or move to someplace, get away. Anyway, when we get married, that means we must stand on our own two feet with the ideas, opinions, and thoughts of our partner as being the most important, not of mom and dad, but of the partner. When one truly leaves his father and mother, it means the husband and wife relationships becomes the priority relationship. As Walter Trobash, Trobash, a South African pastor, wrote, just as a newborn baby cannot grow up unless the umbilical cord is cut, so marriage cannot grow up and develop so long as no real leaving, no clear separation from one's family takes place. You know, to carry this a little bit further, we not only ought to be independent from our parents, but we also ought to be independent of our friends and any other relationships that we may have. That doesn't mean we can't have relationships with friends or not have friends, but the relationship must change because the focus of our attention is to be our partner, not others. Unwillingness to leave old relationships will lead to problems. The Lord dealt with his bride, and we're going to hear much more about that as the series goes on. His bride, the church, or Israel, in the same manner. He wanted Israel to leave behind the Baals and the other gods and to concentrate on him and focus on him alone. And that's the only way that they could be truly happy and blessed by the Lord. And marriage counselors will tell you that one of the frequent problems that surfaces in collapsing marriages is that either a husband or wife or both have never left home or have never really left their old way of life. They consider marriage as simply as a legal rooming together while continuing to live as before. Many marriages fall apart because the partners fail to realize that they're supposed to leave something as they are united with their spouse. So the first step in marriage, or the first step to marriage, is leaving one's father and mother. But just as both, both must leave, so secondly, both must also be united. Or cleave. It's a funny word, right? Eh? Because you cleave, you push things apart. But anyway, this is really bringing stuff together, to use the old English word. Trobish, a South African pastor, writes in his book, I Married You, leaving and cleaving belong together. One describes more the public and legal aspects of marriage, the other the more personal aspect. They are intertwined, he writes. You cannot really cleave unless you have left. And you cannot really leave unless you have decided to cleave. The literal sense of the Hebrew word for to cleave is to stick to, to paste, or to be glued to a person. Husband and wife are glued together like two pieces of paper, he writes. If you try to separate the two pieces of paper which are glued together, you tear them both. If you try to separate husband and wife who cleave together, both are hurt, and in the case they have children, the children as well. Unquote. 
This concept of cleaving speaks about a most intimate relationship. When you are truly united to your wife or to a husband, that means that you are closer to that person than to anything or to anyone else in the world with the exception of Christ. And so, husbands, your wife is to be more important to you than anyone else. More important than, yes, your career, more important than your friends, your guests, your leisure time, your sporting activities, more important than your children, even. And wives, your husband is to be more important to you than anyone else. More important to you than your career, your friends, your guests, your possessions, and yes, more important to you than your children, even. A mother with a newborn child is capable of quickly letting some of the glue become unstuck in the relationship of husband and wife as her whole focus is on the child and virtually very little else. A man with his career that seems to demand more and more from him all the time in terms of hours and energy can very quickly become unglued from union with his wife. A partner in a relationship heavenly involved in sporting activities that take up an inordinate amount of time can damage the glue in a marriage. Cleaving or being pasted or glued to one another means being one in your basic ideals and ideas. It means working together to raise the children. It means praying together, living together, sharing the same Lord and Savior together, having the same values, building one, and up, one another up, and so on. See, there are many who think that the only real union found in marriage is a physical one, and for the rest they can go their separate ways. What a terrible mistake that is. When you pursue your own dreams and plans and career and goals apart from your partner, your marriage is going to end up in deep trouble. Now, in our disposable society, even marriage is sometimes viewed as being as disposable as anything else we can buy or, or get involved with. Marriage, in some cases, is a matter of convenience or of chance, of a temporary nature. And once it doesn't work, well, then we just kind of get rid of it. Now, of course, there may indeed be situations due to the sinful fallenness of our world and of our lives that a relationship is such that it cannot be repaired anymore or that the basic trust levels are so shattered that, humanly speaking, there is no hope for reconciliation and we must be sensitive to such possibilities and such situations that do arise. Some of, that, some of you know that all too well. But at the same time, we recognize from the text that's not the way the Lord planned it to be. He planned for marriage, reflecting the relationship of Jesus and the church, to be permanent. Marriage is not intended to be a, for a matter of convenience or animal attraction, nor is it strictly based upon feelings. Marriage requires a great deal of maturity and some good preparation. It is to be, aside from our feelings, a conscious choice to love someone and to be committed to someone for life. If we go strictly by feeling, we may be in trouble because, I don't know about you, but Feelings tend to change. 
But marriage is a constant conscious decision to leave, to cleave, to stick to one's spouse and to be faithful till death do us part. Of course, there's a two-way street with both spouses fulfilling the covenant established between them. Cleaving or being united becomes very difficult when one of the partners refuses to live up to his or her responsibilities. And it was even for this reason that Moses handed out letters of divorce to the children of Israel who found themselves in non-functioning relationships. While recognizing the fallenness of the human race, a fallenness that also has a profound effect on our relationships in marriage, nonetheless, the Bible still teaches the permanency of marriage. And so we ought never, ever as Christians to enter a relationship with the thought that if it doesn't work, we can get out. Such a way of entering a relationship is bound to failure. And certainly it doesn't allow one to be united with his or her partner as he should. One does not just get married. Rather, as the text tells us, we must first of all leave. Secondly, cleave. And then finally, the two will become one flesh. And most commonly, people will refer to the one flesh idea as meaning or referring to the sexual union of husband and wife. And indeed, when husbands and wives are intertwined in that extra special dimension of life which the Lord has created for us to enjoy, we have a sense of what the two becoming one means. The becoming one flesh is as important as the leaving and the uniting. If there is no becoming one, there is no marriage. But please notice where the becoming one fits into the pattern. Did you notice it comes at the end? Of course it comes at the end. The becoming one, sexually speaking now, is not the way in which to enter a marriage relationship. Rather, it grows out of it. It grows out of love. It's the sign, it's the seal of the covenant made between husband and wife. It states to the partners, yes, we are really husband and wife, and our lives are now literally intertwined and literally one. In Matthew 19, Jesus used the one flesh idea to emphasize that marriage is a permanent relationship. And so unless someone is willing to make a lifelong commitment to the other, and unless the leaving and the cleaving or the uniting, the pasting has taken place, intercourse or sex has no place in a relationship prior to marriage. And we get that from these passages, from this blueprint. Unless the leaving and the cleaving has indeed taken place, a man and a woman ought not to become one flesh. If we turn things around, it's like putting the cart before the horse or like putting the roof up before we've even laid the foundation. But the idea of becoming one flesh involves much more and is stronger than simply the physical union of husband and wife. As Trobish writes, it means that two persons share everything they have. 
Not only their bodies, not only their material possessions, but also their thinking and feeling, their joy and their suffering, their hopes and their fears, their successes and their failures. To become one flesh means that two persons become completely one with body, soul, and spirit, and yet remain two different persons. Unquote. Leave father and mother, cleave, or be united to your spouse, and then you become one flesh. That's the biblical pattern for marriage. That's the basic blueprint laid down by the Lord for his creatures. That's the normal chain of events that ought to take place as we live in his presence and as we give him the glory. And it's on that basic foundation that any Christian conversation on marriage is to be based. And when this basic foundation or pattern is altered, that's when we start running into difficulties, difficulties that usually have painful, even life-altering consequences. Certainly the Bible teaches that marriage is a deep, broad bond between a man and a woman so profound that both partners in such a covenant are deeply and inescapably affected by it. Once marriage, once married, sorry, life can never and will never be the same again, whether the, marriage, whether the relationship lasts or whether it's shattered. And yes, the reality is that sin has destroyed also the pattern that the Lord has given us. Selfishness, bitterness, pride, greed, harshness, impatience, insecurity, all the things that are contrary to what we believe or what we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, all those things destroy the oneness and work against the oneness which the Lord has intended for the marriage relationship. And so in our marriages, we also need Jesus Christ. Not only do we need him to restore us to our own relationship with the Father, but we also need him to restore our shattered, broken, distorted relationships between each other, which sin brings. And we need him to forgive us our part in that. Said it a number of times already, it's important to do the wiring in the house before the drywall goes on. It's important to make the dough ready before the toppings are put on the pizza. Now, if such things are important to do in order to have proper wiring or a good pizza, how more important is it then to follow the basic pattern for marriage, which is so countercultural? Praise the Lord for the pattern given. And may he also grant us the spirit to live accordingly so that we may indeed be blessed and give him the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, you have taught us in your word how to live. How to live in one of the most basic institutions that you put together, namely marriage. And as we listen to these words, some of us are aware of how we've messed up and, and how broken our world is. 
So there was a certain amount of discomfort, perhaps, even in hearing this pattern. Help us, Lord, to live as you would have us live, so that you receive the honor and the glory. After all, that's our desire. And so we pray that you would teach us your way of truth, so that from it we will not depart. In Jesus' name, amen.